Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Merini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Following a decade-plus of fractured relations with key Western partners, including the U.S., Turkey's President Erdogan has made some moves to seemingly rebuild these relationships. His decision on Sweden's NATO membership at the summit in Vilnius and the toning down of his aggressive posturing in the Aegean against Greece are but a few examples. Despite this, many in NATO, as well as officials in the U.S. government, openly question Erdogan's commitment to the West. Expert Sinan Chidi joins me to break down that while some of these moves by Erdogan may appear promising, for now, we should abandon the notion that Erdogan's Turkey will anchor itself with the West. Sinan Chidi is a non-resident senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, where he contributes to FDD's Turkey Program and Center on Military and Political Power. He is also an associate professor of security studies at the Command and Staff College Marine Corps University and Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. Sinan, always great to have you back on The Greek Current. Hi, Thanos. Good to be here. Sinan, for many analysts, the assumption was that following his re-election in May, Turkish President Erdogan would begin shifting the country's foreign policy back to the West. Has this proven to be a misguided assumption? It might be. And that's certainly one of the sentences I used in a recent piece that just came out last week. And, and that, that I, I literally did say that that would be a misguided one. And that's not necessarily based on any sort of a priori assumption or development since then. But I think we have to um, be very sort of prepared for how Erdogan will seek to navigate Turkey through the course of foreign policy decision making in the next few years or months ahead. You know, the assumption goes something along the lines of, look, Erdogan was essentially just blustering. He was bluffing. He was using sort of anti-Western rhetoric, anti-Western tone, bashing the United States, bashing the European Union, antagonizing Greece and Cyprus in the Eastern Mediterranean, mainly with a view to sort of firing up his voter base ahead of the elections around this notion of anti-Westernism, which proved to resonate with voters, right? To the extent that Erdogan feels that Turkey has been aggrieved by the West in its European Union membership bid, or just the United States' forward presence in the region, it has been assumed that essentially that voters sort of gravitate towards strong messaging against this. And they were ultimately proven right. But the reason goes that now that the election is over, that Erdogan may sort of tone down these going forward, right? Because he doesn't need to be reelected again for another five years. So I suggested that that might be misguided to the extent that we're not going to see this sudden blossoming in sort of repositioning of Turkish foreign policy towards a more pro-European or pro-NATO consensus that the West might be able to identify with. But although having said that, we've seen certain de-escalations happen, right? So Erdogan's basically dropped this entire messaging of antagonism in the Eastern Mediterranean. He stopped threatening to invade the Greek islands. He started at least some notion of abandoning annexation of northern Cyprus. And instead, we've seen these talks for a new negotiated settlement over Cyprus begin and also dialogue with the United States. But I think this has to be tempered going forward. So is it going too far to say that Erdogan is suiting up as a team player with the West? I think so, yeah. I mean, it depends what we understand by that. Are we expecting Turkey to essentially really take to the core of interests that we have here, both in the United States and in Europe, and for Turkey to become a real team player? I think this is a far stretch. So, for example, let's look at the portfolio of the Ukraine war. I do not expect President Erdogan to suddenly sort of say, okay, President Putin has been significantly weakened due to the coup attempt that almost removed him from power, possibly, 
but also the catastrophic losses of Russian forces in the Ukrainian campaign. Therefore, having been re-elected as president, Erdogan is now going to essentially become closer to to the Western alliance by imposing or taking a stricter sort of adherence to international sanctions against Russia. We're not going to see that. In quite the opposite, I think we're going to start to see President Erdogan continue to leverage Turkey's position and try to see what he can gain out of his relationship with Putin in terms of exacting more sort of policy gains for Turkey. So I expect essentially Turkey to continue to do what it's doing. It's play this sort of balancing role. Well, we're selling certain amount of weapon systems, certain amounts of you know things that the Ukrainian wants and needs to continue their campaign, but we're also not going to essentially back full sanctions. What we're also going to see is you know Turkey was expected to move on accepting Sweden into NATO very quickly following the election, and that has not happened, right? And that's I think a harbinger of, of more of what is to come in Turkey's relationship within NATO. What do we mean by this? Let's say when Parliament is convened in Turkey in October, which is when Erdogan said Turkey could take up the issue of final ratification of Sweden membership because Turkish Parliament has to ratify it. Let's say the Turks do that in October. Does that mean that then we're all one big family, happy family inside of NATO, and then you know we're going to essentially you know use this as an excuse to really sort of augment this notion that uh, you know NATO is up and alive and Turkey's come back to the Western fold? I'm skeptical about that simply because I think is what's the next disagreement or what is the next area within NATO that Turkey could essentially try to leverage policy goals out of? Because right now, the only reason why Turkey is holding up Swedish membership is because, as I think one of your previous guests uh, intimated, uh, Andy Zemanides, is essentially, well, Turkey is playing a game of chicken. I will not approve Swedish membership until the United States agrees to facilitate the the sale of F-16s to Turkey. Right. So even if Sweden has entered into NATO and some notion of you know, congressional holds on F-16 sales to Turkey are removed, downstream in NATO operations or NATO interest, what is the next hurdle where Turkey may try to essentially leverage is the question that I have. I just don't know what that will be. But let's say a further crisis brews in the Balkans, specifically in Kosovo. Now, Turkey is on record for wanting to essentially really have a front role to play in terms of deploying peacekeepers. It already has bolstered its troop presence there. But does that mean that Turkey will essentially play team NATO if NATO would like to counter Serbian or Russian aggression in the Balkans? I have a question mark on that. Because the Turks have figured out, or Erdogan has figured out, I should say, that in return for any semblance of being a team player inside of NATO, he can try to exact something very concrete out of it, Turkey's Western partners in return for that relationship. So I think the same logic can be replicated with Turkey's relationship with the European Union too. There's a quote by Stephen Cook that you highlighted in your piece, and that was that Erdogan's goal is the pursuit of three basic foreign policy ideas, strategic independence, power, and prosperity. Looking ahead, how do you think that this quote should guide any conversation about Turkey's possible pivot towards the West again? I think the best way I can answer that is to interpret it not from the position of Turkey pivoting back to the West, but for decision makers and policymakers to have this question in the back of their minds. If we have this request of Turkey, what are they going to want in return? So I agree with Stephen's analysis. I would just add to it and augment it slightly in saying that the Turks seem to be cooperating on a number of levels, right, and de-escalating on a number of core issues that has worried the West. But I qualify that by saying, for now. So the whole reason I think that the Turks have de-escalated sort of aggressive language in the Eastern Mediterranean over Cyprus and Greece 
that we saw since 2019 that was slowly escalating is because in order for Turkey to receive or get authorization or the removal of congressional holds that will allow F-16s to be sold in Turkey is for Greek interest groups in Congress to essentially say to key senators and congressmen that are committee chairs to say, well, Turkey's not being as aggressive and Turkey's given us guarantees that they're not going to be aggressive, right? And we can validate that and certify that downstream. And that is intended by Turkey, right? That the escalation is intended to start sort of that dialogue where, you know, decision makers in Washington can be convinced that Turkey's not going to be aggressive. But for now, so going forward, what Stephen calls independent foreign policy, I would just augment that thing, independent by qualifying it by saying, It is a process of foreign policy making that is basically leveraging Turkey's position inside of existing structures. So within NATO, you know, if Turkey is going to be a team player going forward in NATO, it may and is likely going to try to exact more leverage or more policy goals in return for Turkey's cooperation on any further sort of NATO portfolio going forward. Inside of Europe, I mean, you know, I, I can see this sort of dialogue brewing up in the months and years ahead, whereby, you know, if, if Europe has more demand from Turkey for migrant control or refugee control to stay inside of Turkey and outside of Turkey's borders, then the Turks are going to say, well, what do I get in return for that, right? Some people have called this transactionism, and I agree with it, but I would say let's expect more of that and further institutionalization of this transactionism going downstream, uh, and the Turks will likely want more concrete things in return for their basic cooperation. Given what you've laid out, Sinan, then, why do you think so many analysts remain eternally optimistic with the idea that, you know, Turkey will pivot back to the West? I mean, there are a few sort of corollaries in the back of my head. One reason, I think, is, is based on a not altogether unreasonable line of argument suggesting that, look, Turkey's economic situation today and going forward is not likely to improve, that Turkey will require substantial amount of stabilization measures that will require significant sort of Western inputs and cooperation to deal with inflation, to deal with significant currency devaluations. Therefore, without Western support, this Turkey will not be able to essentially come back to its beat and become a sort of a stable economy again. And therefore, you know, Turkey needs to reach out positively to the West. And we've seen some overtures of this, or even rumors suggesting that, you know, the meeting between Biden and Erdogan at the Vilnius summit suggested there was a rumor suggesting that Turkey wanted guarantees from Biden that, you know, an IMF loan could be extended to Turkey to the tune of like 10 to 15 billion dollars. Again, this is a rumor, but this is what these arguments are built on, that in return for financial support, that Turkey will essentially have to look more positively towards the West. I think that's the most rational explanation that put out there. Somewhat sort of on the lesser side of our credence that I give is Turkey's positioning in the geostrategic map. Now that we have the flank of NATO extended towards, you know, Sweden, Greece and Turkey, right, these flank countries are essentially leading up the forward defenses or the forward presence of NATO forces and the, NATO's defensive posture towards the Russian threat. And that due to Russia's increasing weakness in its war against Ukraine and just in terms of within the framework of great power competition is an acute threat that Turkey senses Russia's weakening stance and it has to essentially look westward again to become relevant. I don't necessarily see that as the case because I think Turkey is going to continue to leverage that sort of relationship with Russia. And I don't necessarily think give that much credence to the ultimate weakening of Russia. But the reason why some analysts put this out there, I think, is just to stay relevant, to give them something else new to say. And this is possibly the most sort of what I would call the most ridiculous vein of argumentation that I've seen just this sort of offhanded remarks put out on social media feeds and Twitter suggesting that, you know, Turkey's going to pivot back to the West. 
because it has no alternative and, you know, the cards have changed and Erdogan's really going to come back to the ball. I simply see that as a red herring dangled by analysts and, and scholars who actually know better, but who are just dangling that out there in terms of finding something shocking and novel to say without, I think, any substantial evidence to offer in, in support of that argument. Sanang, always great speaking with you. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. In other news, Nicosia has strongly condemned the visit of U.S. Congressman Pete Sessions to Turkish-occupied Cyprus, denouncing it as a violation of international law and a departure from Washington's official stance. The Foreign Ministry of Cyprus stated on Friday that Sessions' decision to visit the illegal territory was a deliberate choice on his part, disregarding the relevant resolutions of the U.N. Security Council. The ministry emphasized that, unlike other cases, prevention of this visit was not feasible because of his history of relations with Turkey. Sessions made the visit on Thursday, becoming the first American politician to land at Erkan Airport in the occupied side before meeting with senior Turkish Cypriot officials. Finally, Greece has announced that it will limit the number of daily visitors to the Acropolis in order to guarantee the safety and longevity of the ancient monument. From September, the UNESCO World Heritage Site in Athens will admit no more than 20,000 visitors a day, according to the country's culture minister, Lina Mendoni. In a recent interview, Mendoni said the change is being introduced as a trial following research by the government's Hellenic Organization of Cultural Resources Development. She said that up to 23,000 people currently visit the site every day. That's a huge number, she said. Tourism is obviously desirable for the country and for all of us, but we must work out how over-tourism won't harm the monument. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.